Thank you for reading, and uh, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> My name's Roger. If we haven't met, it is good to be here with you, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, your word is truth and life. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak it into our heads and our hands uh, and our hearts this morning and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, they're all around us. Uh, you may even be in one. If not, you surely know someone who is marriage. Uh, and the thing about marriage is when it's good, it's great, but because it can be so great when it's bad, it is terrible. There are high highs and low lows when it comes to marriage. Uh, no surprise, we want more of the highs and less of the lows. Even more, we want to honour God in our marriages. And so we want to be wise when it comes to marriage. Enter Ephesians 5 that we've just heard read. But actually, before we delve into it, there's something incredible here that happens. Uh, I don't know whether you realise this is one of the greatest plot reveals in human history. Bigger than my uh, cinematic uh, history favourite, summer of 1980, Luke <laughs> I am your father. Uh, the one here in Ephesians, though, uh, in verse 31 and 32, after talking about being one body, where in verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis 2, uh, what God said about the first marriage and the pattern of human marriage. Well, let me read it for you. Verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And as we read on in what comes after, verse 32, the final meaning of those words way back at the beginning is made clear. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Marriage as we experience it was given to point, to point us to Jesus and the church. That's what he's saying. Not that Genesis 2 wasn't also about our human marriages, but God didn't write the Jesus and the church story and look around for a way of describing it and think to himself, ah, I found it. I'll compare it to human marriage. No, it's actually the other way around. He wrote the Jesus and the church story first and created our marriages to point to it so that when Jesus came along, we could understand all the better his relationship with us. Marriage is a living, breathing, walk-in illustration of the experience we can have with God through Jesus. And likewise, this is the reason why marriage is like two bookends in the Bible. It starts with marriage and it ends with marriage. It starts with the first marriage of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, the marriage on which all other marriages are based. It ends with marriage on steroids in Revelation 21, as we heard it read, with the final coming together of Christ and all who trust him. And that is the marriage in which we can all take part. Whether married or single here today, widowed or divorced, we are all involved in what we're reading today when our trust is in Jesus. We as his church, with Jesus as our head. So flowing out of that, there are two incredible things that we're going to hear today. 
The first, Jesus and the church is the model of marriage. And the second, our marriages should imitate his marriage. Let's pick up Jesus and the church as the model of marriage first. Uh, And do have your Bibles open. It's very helpful to have your Bibles open as we've been encouraging you to bring your paper Bibles too so you can sort of see things in their context and see it again when you're at home. Uh, Did you notice the body theme running through these verses? Uh, It comes up first in verse 23 when Paul says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Like our heads lead the rest of our body, Jesus Christ is in charge of the church. And we've been hearing about the body, haven't we, since chapter 1. What did we read? God has placed Jesus over every ruler or authority and power. He is number one over everything and everyone. He is in charge, so when you read head, read ruler. He rules over all things. But there's a special relationship pictured here between Jesus and the church. And we are the church. Uh, It's not that we're an organisation that he's set up. Instead, we're the people he's gathering from across the world. We're the people he's saved. All who place their trust in him. We're described as his body. And in that way, wonderfully connected but taking our lead and direction from him as head. Now, that's such a big deal. The whole Jesus and the church story is such a big deal because we weren't uh, connected at all. We've read earlier in Ephesians, haven't we, how uh, we all deserved, all we deserved from God was punishment as sinners, as his enemies. But that's where Jesus stepped in. And so come with me uh, to verse 25. What does it say about Christ and his church? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The wonderful thing about Jesus is he doesn't treat us how we deserve. As God come into the world, he dies in our place. He gives up his life so we might live He died so that we would die to death forever. Jesus rules through loving, costly service. And the picture there in verse 26 is one of a bride ready for her wedding day, just as we've been made fit to be Jesus' people. This is ultimate love we're talking about here, which puts others and their needs before myself and my needs That's the Jesus and church story. And it leads us to the great reveal, the essential connection if we're to understand God's wisdom for our marriages. And so let me read it again. This time I'll pick it up a little earlier from verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
This mystery has been spoken of before in Ephesians. It's the sort of mystery that's no longer still hidden. It's come into the full light of day. Marriage is ultimately about Jesus and the church. So think with me for a moment about what we learn about this relationship from here in Ephesians. It's not just information, but how to live it. There's an order built into it, isn't there? Uh, Jesus takes the lead. He's the ruler. He decides what's right and wrong and what's important and what's not by his very character. And in verse 24, what's our response to his rule? The church submits to him. It makes sense, doesn't it? Leadership doesn't work if those who are meant to don't follow. Uh, How does the saying go? What do you call a person, uh, a leader who has no one following them? Just a person out for a walk. Why is the rule of law so important? Or accountability in an organisation? Because God made the world with order not anarchy. And if we've understood the Jesus and the church story and made it our own, then we've said we've stopped living as if we were our own head so Jesus can take his rightful place. We've stood aside from leading and said, you lead the way. Leadership and submission, love and obedience Jesus offers the marriage that is truly made in heaven. Now, I don't know whether you know this about me. Uh, You soon will. I like to learn by being shown how it's done. Uh, I wonder if you're the same. Seeing it modelled and then doing it for myself. Uh, Need to fix something at home? You don't even need to know someone who knows how to do it these days. You just turn to good old YouTube. The good news for me and for all of us is this. God shows us how to have good and godly marriages where our marriage should imitate his marriage. We've seen him in action, Jesus, and how he treats us and how we ought to respond to him, his role toward us and our role toward him. So now let's look at how we should act in our marriages or how we should if we were to get married, or how we can encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ who are married. As Paul does, we'll start with wives first in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Wives, God says, allow yourself to be led by your husband. Follow his leadership. Your privilege is to imitate the church in the way we respond to Christ. Now, talk of uh, submission is unpopular territory, offensive in our day, uh, and in some churches too, and perhaps even among us. Uh, the idea of one person submitting to another is countercultural. Uh, To promote it is to be on the wrong side of history, we're told. I heard a radio presenter say, submission is a backward step to before the 1960s. 
And it's commonly held that submission assumes inferiority. That wives submitting to their husbands makes them lesser people than men. But it can't. Let me explain why. God treats wives and husbands the same way. They are equally members of Christ's body. The Lord saves us all equally, we've heard in Ephesians, but in a world with order written into it, people who are equal can have different roles. I've got a friend who's a policeman, and if he pulls me over on the road or tells me what to do in an emergency, that doesn't mean he's superior to me, does it? Just that he's got a different role. Jesus himself is the ultimate example. Throughout the Gospels, we see him submitting to God the Father's plan, following his lead willingly, but no less his equal. Where there's more than one person involved, someone must lead and others must be led. And in God's wisdom, he decided that in marriage, husbands should lead and wives be led. Now, Let's not for a moment overlook or wonder if I recognise there can be great difficulties in doing that. We are all sinful. The old self would like nothing better than to throw off God's order and to swap self-control for self-centred control. God's good order isn't the problem here, though. It's us. And that's a threat to our marriages. And wives, you need to know, in fact, we all do, to know that submitting to a husband in everything doesn't mean leaving yourself or your children at risk at the hands of your husband. Abuse, any kind of abuse, has no place in our marriages. And if that's something that you'd be helped to talk about more, please do come and talk to me or to Louise or to someone here you trust. Wives, you are a great gift from God to your husbands, but it's never for us as husbands to demand you submit. Actually, uh, I used to call this, I don't know if it's still the case, I used to call this the elbow passage of the Bible. Uh, Why the elbow passage? Well, because as it was being read out, like we read it out earlier, as the first part was read out, you'd notice husbands giving an elbow in the ribs of their wives. Uh, But we're not that bright as husbands sometimes because only two sentences later, there'd be an elbow back in the ribs the other way. But Paul doesn't say, husbands insist your wives submit to you. He speaks to you as wives. Just as he doesn't say, wives, insist your husbands love you. He speaks to you as husbands. Now look back with me uh, where we came from last week. Chapter 5 of Ephesians is uh, about living wisely as God's new people. And as David mentioned, uh, verse 18, and what comes after it a little earlier, so I want to draw your attention back there, where Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to losing control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, which leads to living in control. He's saying, 
if you've trusted what Jesus has done in the past for you, now rely on God's Spirit at work in you. Submitting is one way we live in control lives. Submitting in is one way we live godly, wise lives. There are actually five ways listed uh, in the original language here from verses 19 to 21 that we may live spirit-filled lives. It's not an exhaustive list, but certainly everything on on the list is consistent uh, with God's pattern for life. And so let me show you in verse 19, speaking God's word, Uh, Also singing, whoop, bring it back up again, please. Uh, Making music, giving thanks to God. Uh, I'm giving you the short version. You can read the longer version for yourself. And even though it gets separated by heading and treated like a new paragraph, in verse 21 is submitting to leadership. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then what follows in uh, our passage today and in the passage we're going to look at next week are uh, three relationships where someone is called on to lead and someone else to follow. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. This is the way God made the world, with an order to things. And sometimes in relationships you're the, people, you're the person doing the leading, other times you're doing the submitting. Again, Jesus is the example. He is our head who leads us, but he himself submits to God the Father's lead. And so whichever situation you find yourself in, uh, it's about living wisely in God's world, recognising how he made us to live and living in step with how he's made us to live. And when we're in a role where we need to follow another's lead, we're called on to do it out of reverence for Christ, out of our ongoing trust in him. We follow those who lead because we know and want to honour the one who leads leaders and leads us. So wives, uh, how might the rubber hit the road for you? How can we encourage you to go on as wives? Well, Uh, I guess it'll mean uh, across the sphere of your life and relationship with your husband, it it will come under his leadership. You're called to willingly place your life in his hands. Allow him to lead you in your marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. In matters of godliness, how as a couple you'll relate to each other, how as a couple you'll raise children to know and follow the Lord Jesus, how as a couple you'll spend your time and money and how you'll make the body, the church, a priority for your energy and service. Now, it's not that you can't have an opinion. In fact, even a strongly held and differing opinion Uh, or that you won't exercise responsibilities yourself in your relationship. But where there's a difference and a decision needs to be made, you'll say, well, I'm going to allow him to make it and respect it. I'm not going to be his competitor. Uh, Take my wife, Louise, here as an example. I'm not sure that I mentioned to Louise that I was going to use her as an example. I thought you'd have some reaction to that. Uh, uh, if you know Louise, she is no pushover. 
and I've always thought she was wiser than me. She's a powerhouse when it comes to good advice and having raised our kids and oftentimes has deep insights into things we're working on together. But she does that as a helper, even aiming to create an environment that encourages me to take a lead when it's needed. And so there's another pattern going on here that it's worth mentioning for those who, <coughs> pardon me, aren't married, is this is what to look for in the person you would marry, in this case, a wife who is willing to follow your lead. Now that brings us to how a godly husband will act. <coughs> One of the uh, people at a, a service early, the service earlier today pointed out that Wives are told to submit to their husbands once and men are told to love their wives three times. Uh, Just have a look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We've talked already about how he did that how he leads by serving, how he serves even to the point of losing his life. He loses his life so we may live. The privilege we have when we are husbands is we get to imitate him. How then will we love and so lead and serve our wives? We'll lead the way in godliness. Present your wives on the final day. Serve your wives that they might be holy and blameless. I'm not saying we save our wives, but rather we encourage them to know God and live as one of his new people. We're always talking about discipleship and growing disciples here and and loving our neighbour. Well, your wife, if you are married, is your closest neighbour. Listen to your wife. Know her and understand her and care for her because that, of course, is the first step of serving someone in their discipleship. And then in that light, you can give godly direction in how you spend your time together and apart and how you use your words to build up your wife. Take the lead. Show initiative. And if you're going to be a godly husband, you're going to be a man of God's word. A man who reads the Bible and knows it and reflects on it and lives by it for your own sake and so too you may lead your marriage in it. You realise, don't you, men, uh, that when your wife submits to your your authority, she makes herself very vulnerable. Vulnerable as a person. Uh, vulnerable to the wisdom or foolishness of your decisions? Are you going to fulfil your responsibilities to her or exploit her? And guys, don't ever make a joke uh, to your wife or to your mates about your wife having to submit to you. She is vulnerable to you. And in a world broken by sin, is that the, the sort of thing that is going to give you her confidence in you? Instead, ask yourself, how can I make it as easy as possible for my wife to follow my leadership?
Let's be wise husbands. Let's promote wise husbanding. Christ is our example, and he wasn't a tyrant leader, nor should we be. He did what was for our best, so may we for our wives. What we must do is show initiative-taking leadership. That's how Christ acted towards us, washing us clean of our sin and fit to stand before our God when we could do nothing for ourselves. And so, husbands, you have the same responsibility for your wives to serve them by your initiative. And we have two temptations we face. The first is to be self-serving leaders And that is not the way you imitate Christ. The other is to drop the ball and not lead. Failing to take initiative where we should or make a decision where one is needed or perhaps the hardest to make a difficult choice. Because it is possible that your wife wants what she wants isn't actually what God wants for you both. Just like there are times and you know it that doing what you want isn't what God wants for you either. Lead to serve her best interests. Husbands, love your wives. Which means too that if you're someone who isn't married and you're thinking about uh, how you might be married or to whom you are married, here is the model of the type of husband to look for. Just as on the flip side, each of us is to model the roles we've been given. How can we live as wise and not unwise people? How can we honour God in our marriages? How can we as husbands and wives together work together to work these things out in our marriage? Two ways. Remembering Jesus and the church is the model for marriage And second, that our marriages should imitate his marriage. We shouldn't be surprised if the world around us ridicules us for living as children of our Heavenly Father. It is countercultural what we have heard today. No one's denying that. The world will even blame God's word for abuse in marriages when it's not God's word, but actually sin that is the cause of that. Sin that always seeks to twist God's word, to use it to its own ends. And let me also say, we haven't had a chance to talk about every aspect of marriage today or to delve further into singleness for that matter. And no doubt marriage in this life will come with high highs and low lows. But what have we done? We've been reminded again of just how incredibly Jesus has treated us and how knowing him ought to affect the way we treat one another and especially as husband and wives, but also across our church as we promote the the unity which comes through humility. There may be a need for confession and repentance today. Even as we prayed that prayer of confession at the beginning of church, we may need to confess and repent of our sin 
when it comes to how we've acted in marriage. But we do so confident God's grace is enough to meet our need and bring us forgiveness. And what an honour, what an honour that we can share a foretaste of the eternal relationship with God that we have been given. That marriage is a living, breathing, walking illustration pointing us to the Jesus and his church story. And it is that whether we are married or single. And isn't it a privilege? Liberating to know that our maker made us to live with roles in marriage equal but with different responsibilities so that we can work together as teams for his glory. Don't you think so? Then let's work hard at fulfilling our roles in marriage, knowing that it's not us, but God's spirit at work in us, making us wise for marriage. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we have so much to thank you for in the great and ultimate marriage that you've included us in of Jesus and his church. We praise and thank you for that great mystery now revealed, now in the full light of day and that marriage as you've given it to us, uh, that many of us experience, that all of us uh, experience, whether in one or observing others. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would cause us to so walk and be filled with your spirit that we do live our lives according to your order uh, and in response to your grace. And indeed, Heavenly Father, may the way we fulfil those roles exercise that same grace, drawing on the deep well of the love with which you have loved us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.